the Lord's Word. So you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 16 this morning. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. And as you're turning, I want us to consider a, a, a phenomenon, a situation this morning. And perhaps you've witnessed before, or maybe if you weren't witnessing this firsthand, you saw it on the news. <clears throat> but have you ever seen this situation before where, where someone outside the church, and by outside the church, I mean by, by their own self-proclamation, they wouldn't say that they're a Christian. They wouldn't say they're a follower of God. They would say, I'm, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. Where, where someone outside the church acts more godly and a more, in a more moral fashion, in a more upright way than someone from inside the church? Have you ever seen that happen before? Someone outside the church acts more godly than someone inside the church. You're shaking your head going, man, I hope that's not the case. Have you ever seen that happen uh, before? If not, uh, we're about to. Here's our text this morning, Jonah 1, beginning in verse 4, ending in chapter 16. This is God breathed. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? That the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray together. Spirit, we find ourselves once again in your territory. We are before the Word. And Spirit, lest you intercede, we will, we will not understand. We will hear, but not know. We will see, but not perceive. And so Spirit, our request before you this morning is to cause the scales to fall off our eyes. Would you grant us the courage to be honest with ourselves? Use the Word like a scalpel. Expose us. Open up our spiritual chests. Reveal to us, Father, those things we fear. And, and cause us, Spirit, by the power of the Word, 
and by the power of your sacrament, by the means you've created to strengthen your people, to place our trust, our faith, our fear, and nothing less than our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It was their first, and it would probably be their last time, to ever meet the Pope. It was World War II, and my grandfather, Jack, and his friends somehow won an audience with the Pope. There were communications officers in World War II, and um, they found themselves in Italy at one point. And, and, and where in this whole story things panned out, we don't know, but, but somehow he got invited to meet the Pope, the leader of, of the Catholic Church. And as some of you are probably well aware and probably know better than, than me, typically how, how an interaction with Pope works is, is very different. Um, then would say, you know, having lunch with, with a friend sitting across the table. One does not simply just walk into the Vatican and shake hands with the Pope. Because, because in their faith they believe he is, he is not, he's not a man like us. He, he, he's different. He's separate. He's transcendent. And, and because of what he represents and who he is, he's on, a, he's on a different playing field, so to speak. So one doesn't simply just walk into the Vatican and, and shake the Pope's hand. One has to be coached. And that's what happens in the story with my grandfather Jack and his friend. And here's how he was coached. He walked into a room um, and this man told him how they were to behave, how they were to interact with this man they called the Pope. And here, here's how they were coached. They were told this. You're not to approach uh, the Pope. You're not to touch the Pope. You're not to speak to the Pope. If he asks questions, you may answer, but you don't ask him questions. He will do the asking. You will do the answering. Keep a relative distance between you and between him. Don't approach him. And lastly, this. If you refer to him, if you speak his name, you may only refer to him as your holiness. You may only refer to him as your holiness. And what we see going on here is, is, is regardless of what you believe about the Catholic faith or the Pope, it is this. That there's because of who he is and what he represents, and, and what he what he represents within this community is is that he is he's somebody different. Because of what he's done, because of what he's accomplished, that, that he should be treated differently, that he should be treated with a certain level of respect, he should be treated with a certain level of awe, and he should be treated with a certain level of reverence. Again, regardless of what you believe about about the Pope. We can all sympathize with that, can't we? We have people in our lives whom, because of what they've done, uh, perhaps for us or perhaps for other people, um, they, they've, they've received our awe, our respect, our reverence. Perhaps it, it's a grandparent for you. Maybe because of, of how they've served your family, what they've done on behalf of your family. If they were to ask you to do something, your, your natural reaction would be yes. Because you have a great respect for them. You have a great awe for them. Perhaps this person may not be a family member. It might be a boss. It might be a mentor. But, but you have this, this certain level of awe and respect and fear for this person because of what they represent to you and what they've done on your behalf. Well, in our passage this morning, we find a very similar situation. We are witness to awe. We are witness to a holy and a reverent fear. But here's the irony. It's not from the churchmen. It's not from the man inside the church. It's not from the person we would expect it from. It's from these pagan sailors. And last week, we we introduced this topic of rebellion 
And I told you we're doing a mini-series within a mini-series here. I know Jonah's a short book, but we're supposed to look at this week's sermon in light of last week's. On one hand, and in one eye, we're looking at Jonah, and we're looking at his descent into rebellion. And I use this word descent intentionally because there's a play on this word in the Scriptures. As Jonah's being communicated, it says he went down to Joppa. Uh, he went down onto a ship. He went down into the stern of the ship. He went down into the belly of the whale. This whale went into the belly of the sea. We see this descent into rebellion. This, this churchman is rebelling against God. He is so mad. He's trying to run away from the Lord. And on the other hand, we have these sailors. We have these mariners. And whereas on one hand we have Jonah descending into rebellion, on the other hand we have these, these sailors who are ascending into a holy and righteous and reverent respect and fear of God. And so one eye, we've got to keep on Jonah, but on the other eye, we want to look at the mariners, these sailors this morning. And and three things I want us to see. And let me remind us this morning that this this fear is is not like a light switch. It's a progression. So what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the progression of, of their fear of the Lord. It starts... Uh, and if you're taking notes, this is our first point this morning. It starts as an ignorant fear. This fear begins ignorant. Uh, and second, it moves to an informed fear. It turns from an ignorant fear into an informed fear. And then finally, it turns into a healthy fear. It starts ignorant. It turns informed. And it ends a healthy fear. So first, what makes it an ignorant fear? Look with me again at verses 4 and 5. And as we read this passage, ask yourself this question. What exactly are the mariners afraid of? What exactly are these sailors scared of? What exactly do they fear? Okay, verses 4 and 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship. If we're looking for a holy fear, if we're looking for a reverent fear, I mean, perhaps we need to look no further because what this passage tells us is that these sailors, these mariners, they are afraid. They are scared. They are scared for their life. So if it's fear we're looking for, it sounds like we have it. It sounds like we've got it. If if they're scared, exhibit A. Do we need to go any further? It sounds like they're scared. How do we know they're scared? How do we know that this isn't just, just a a certain level of anxiety or nervousness, but what kind of storm would it take for a sailor to be, be scared for his life. What kind of storm would it take? Consider this. We, we know how afraid they are. We know the level of fear they have based on what they're willing to sacrifice to protect their life. Verse 5 says, they hurled the cargo into the sea. And what we need to see from this, this passage is this, is that when this journey was over, these sailors had to go home. And they had to go to their wives and say, I've been gone for weeks. I've been gone for months. And I have nothing to show for it. I have no salary. I have no pay. Let me tell you what happened. There was a storm, and it was a storm like I've never seen before. It threatened to break up the ship. Our, our lives were at stake. And it was so scary, the, our, our knee-jerk reaction, our knee-jerk reaction was to take our very livelihood and throw it overboard. That's how scared we were. I want to pause here for a minute. I, I told you, if you like irony, you're going to love the book of Jonah. Notice here what what the sailors are willing to give up to spare life, to preserve life, 
to protect life, not only for, their, for themselves, but also for Jonah. What are they willing to give up? Their livelihood, their paycheck. They're going home empty-handed. You remember what Jonah was willing to give up to fund his rebellion? You remember what he was willing to sacrifice in order to rebel against God to make sure that grace, preservation, life would not go to the pagans? It would not go to Nineveh? Remember he too paid a fare? He paid a wage? He approached these sailors and said, I'll pay a wage. I am so mad. I am so angry. I will give my livelihood as well. Not to preserve life, but to rebel against God. You see the irony here? The sailors are willing to give up their livelihood to protect life. Jonah's not. And so we see this great fear and we go, okay, if, if that's what we're supposed to have as, as, as believers in the 21st century Christians is, this, is a great sense of fear and trepidation, the, the sailors have it. But what we need to see in this point is, is not the quality of the fear because the quality is intense. Their very lives are at stake. But we're supposed to notice the object of the fear. What do they fear? And why are we calling it an ignorant fear? We call it an ignorant fear because... They see this, this master's servant. They don't see the master. They see the creation and they see the created order. They don't see the creator. They think they're going toe-to-toe with the storm. They think they're up against a natural enemy. They think, look, if, if this storm is going to threaten to break up the ship, then the natural recourse, the natural action is just to dump our cargo. They don't see that this was a storm hurled by the Lord. This was an arrow shot from the bow of God meant directly for this ship, for Jonah and these men. They don't fear the Lord yet, and that's why it's an ignorant fear. They fear the Lord's creation. They fear the Lord's servant. And you might be saying, okay, big deal. So what? What difference does that make in my life? And I want us to sit here for a minute because we're we're more like the sailors than, than we care to admit. We do this exact same thing too. We fear the Lord's servants, but we don't fear the Lord. A couple years ago, we watched the, um, the economy fall, and we watched investments disappear. We watched 401ks disappear like a vapor in the wind. And ever since then, we've been keeping a close eye on the stock market. We've been keeping a close eye on the real estate market. And, and sure, it looks noble. We're, we're, we're trying to be good stewards. We don't want to put our money in a, in a, in a lousy account. Um, just being diligent, and we've packaged it in such a way that, you know, yeah, it just looks like we're doing our, our due diligence. But do you see what we're doing? you see where we're directing our fear? Do you see where we're directing our reverence and our awe? We're directing it towards a servant of God. And I suggest to you this morning that the real estate market, the stock market, they are not God, but they're servants of God. They take orders from God. God looks at the stock market and laughs. And goes, it is my servant. And instead of giving our awe and our respect and our reverence to God, we we put it in one of his servants, don't we? We've looked at this beast, this, this, this market, and we've just gone. This thing contains our livelihood, our very livelihood. And I'm going to watch it very closely. I'm going to respect it. I'm going to fear it. I'm going to be careful where I put my money. And if we're not careful... We will use our precious fear, our precious awe, and we will give it to a servant of the Lord and not to the Lord himself. A couple other questions here um, directed more at the heart. What gets, 
What gets cargo dumping kind of respect out of you? What gets papal kind of fear out of you? What is it? What gets your awe? What gets your respect? What are you afraid of? Where is your livelihood tied into that if it fails or that if it disappears, you're undone? You sense that your very livelihood is, is gone. Is that your career? Is that your family? Is that the market? What is it? We've all got it. We've all got something we lean on. And we give our precious fear to besides the Lord. The good news for us this morning is God doesn't want to leave us in this kind of fear. It's an ignorant fear. He doesn't want creation fearing creation. He doesn't want one of God's servants fearing another one of God's servants. He's saying, look, all these things over here, they will, they will leave you hopeless. You will be exhausted. You will be tired. I'm, I'm not going to stop. And we see the storm continuing. He's, God is not going to leave us in an ignorant fear of himself. He's going to turn our ignorant fear into an informed fear. And watch how this progresses in the lives of the sailors. Look with me at verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Skip to verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. There's our word again, fear. And said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Notice here the beginnings of a transformation. Notice here the beginnings of an ignorant fear. You know, at, at once we thought we were just afraid of a storm. We were afraid of this, this, this natural part of creation. We hear the sirens going off. Something is, is, is chaotic in nature, and they're going, wait a minute. There's something bigger here. This is not a natural problem. This, this is starting to feel, and it's starting to look like a supernatural problem. And we see this in, in their behavior. Notice this. Um, they cast lots. We don't exactly know what lots look like, but this is their way of, of investigating and figuring out who's, who's responsible for this storm. Because these are sailors, these are weathered sailors, they've seen storms before, and they know that there's something different about this one, and their livelihood is at stake. The cargo didn't work. Now we have to go supernatural. We have to get a supernatural remedy here. So let's cast lots. Let's figure out who's responsible for this. And what's the answer? What do they find out? The lot falls on Jonah. It falls on the man of God. It falls on the churchmen. And they investigate further and they say, why? Why? Who are you? And you remember his response? We're, we're tempted to think of it as a confession that Jonah is, is telling them this, this, this brilliant piece of orthodoxy. But he says this. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the God of heaven. The one that made the sea. In other words, you see these waves coming over the boat? That's the God in whom I refer to. And you see that land that we're about to be dashed against? He created that as well. And I'm, in, I'm here because I'm rebelling against that God. What? I mean, this is the moment where the jaws drop. You get that moment of silence and the sailors go, It's you? Okay, so not only is it you, but you have angered your God, and your God is now angry with us? What must we do with you? Something has to be done. And what's the remedy? Jonah tells them, the only remedy is this, you must throw me overboard. 
You must cast me over the side of the boat. Do that, and the sea will be at peace. It will turn to glass. Notice, what did the sailors do? What did the mariners do? Look with me at verse 13. What does it say? Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Again, notice the irony. Notice the irony here. If I were in, in, the, in the sailor's shoes, and, and, and my life was at stake, and, and, and if, if, if my livelihood was threatened, and, it, and there was a chance that I wasn't going to get to go back and see my wife and my family, and I found out who was responsible for it, and whose God was responsible for it, and I was tasked with the, uh, uh, the job to throw him overboard, I would be more than happy to comply. I think I really would be. But notice, notice again their concern, their concern for life, their preservation for life. They hold, they hold life in such high esteem that even though it's commanded by the God of heaven, the one who, who made the land and the sea, they're reluctant to do it. Throw this man overboard? Why? Even though he's responsible, even though he's rebelling, life is too precious. Notice the irony? You notice what Jonah's willing to do? Remember Jonah and his rebellion? He is so mad at the Lord, he's willing not only to sacrifice his livelihood, his own life, but even the lives of these sailors, he doesn't care about them. Nor does he care about the lives in Nineveh. We wouldn't expect that kind of behavior out of a churchman, but out of, out of the mouths of pagans we hear, why would we do that? And they rode hard. They just thought, no, we can't do that to this individual. No. And so they rode, and they rode in their ignorant and informed fear. But again, the good news for us is this, is that the Lord is not going to leave them just within an informed fear. It's not enough just to realize, okay, that there's something supernatural uh, behind the storm. It's not just our, our daily trials, our, our, our daily struggles, but... And, and, and yes, I'm, I'm willing to admit that maybe there's something supernatural behind it. The Lord, Lord is not willing to leave you. He's not willing to leave Jonah. He's not willing to leave the sailors in an uninformed fear. And so the storm continues, and we're just going, man, <laughs> the Lord's looking awfully mean here. This storm is looking rough. But the storm continues for this reason. He wants to move the sailors' fear into an informed fear of him. And it happens. See in verse 14 and 16. Look with me again at the text. Notice the last turn here as we read this passage. The the last turn in their ascent into fear of the Lord, into the fear of Jonah's God, Yahweh. Verses 14 through 16. Therefore they call to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Three things here that show us that they have now a healthy and informed, and it's no longer an ignorant fear of the Lord. And and first, it's the prayer. Notice this. The prayer is now directed to Yahweh. Whereas in verse 5, the sailors, when the storm first approaches, they each kind of gather up and they say, okay, you, you pray to your God. You, you pray to yours. You, you pray to yours. Here we see them collectively going, if we're going to pray, we're going to pray to this guy. We're going to pray to the God of heaven. We're going to pray to Jonah's God. Because it looks like by all appearances, all power, all sovereignty rests in him alone. And, And notice how many times they use the covenant name 
of the Lord here in this prayer. They called out to the Lord, O Lord, O Lord, you've done as it pleased you. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Here in this text, the actual translation says, the men feared the Lord with a great fear. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. We see a great turn. They see a turn from their, from their pagan worship to the God of Jonah, to the God of scriptures. And, and again, notice the irony here. Jonah is given many accounts, many opportunities, many opportunities to pray, to repent before God, but he won't. The man of God won't pray. The churchman won't pray. But here out of the mouths of pagans, we have a prayer to Yahweh. And, and notice what they say. It's what Jonah couldn't say. In verse 14, the end of verse 14, it says, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleases you. Do you sense and do you feel that, that the bowing of the knee, the, the tone of submission here, the tone of submission absent from Jonah's prayer, the tone of submission absent from Jonah's attitude, here are present in the hearts and the lives of the sailors going, Lord, you will do and you have done as it will please you. We are now your servants. And they even go on to say, the passage says, they made sacrifices and they made vows. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about actually what these things are, but I do want us to notice one thing. Notice the timing. Notice the timing of these sacrifices and the vow. Typically, when we're, we're in a hot spot. Typically, we're, we're, when we're at a, at a moment where we're getting ready to push the panic button, things look bleak, our livelihood is at stake. What do we start doing with God? Don't we start bartering? God, if you'll do this, if you'll get us out of this, I will, I will do this for you, right? We start bartering with God. I'll start coming to church. I'll start filling the blank. Notice when the vows appear here. They don't happen before the sea turns to glass. They don't happen before the storm is calmed. It comes afterwards. It comes subsequent. And notice how immediate they are too. Typically you'd, you'd want to you know, get a fresh pair of clothes on. You're obviously wet from rain and, and from the waves. And you're exhausted. You're tired because you've been throwing cargo over the side of the boat. And, and no, they don't wait until they get back to land. They offer sacrifices. And they make vows on the boat. It's an immediate response. And where once we had this ignorant fear, where once we had this uninformed fear, we now have this healthy fear. They know now where to direct their attention. They know now where to direct their awe, their respect, and their reverence. Not in the storms, and not in the gods, but in this one God, Yahweh, Jonah's God. For with Him there is power, and with Him there is dominion, and with Him there is authority. Only He can turn this storm into a glassy sea. How do we know we have a healthy fear of the Lord? How do we know that our affections and our attention and our fear is directed not ignorantly, but it's directed at the Lord. How do we know? We know because of this. We know that when these trials come, when the storms come, when difficult times come, we can laugh. What do I mean by that? I watched a movie this, uh, this weekend with my family called Hugo. It's a great, it's a great movie. Um, very family friendly. And uh, one of the one of the parts of, of the movie, which is kind of funny, it kind of gives you a history of film. 
it takes you back to the very first picture film that was ever created. And so they kind of go back in time, and they're, and they're showing, um, they are showing the first movie showing ever. And you've, you've probably heard of them before, the Lumiere brothers, they were these French brothers. And what they did was they took a camera, they took one of the first cameras, and they set it on the platform of a train station. And they started filming. And what they captured on the right-hand side of the screen are, are people milling around, talking, moving, carrying luggage. But on the left-hand side of the screen, the screen, you see off in the distance a train. But the train isn't, isn't standing still, it's moving. It's moving towards the camera. Not directly at it, but just to the left. And you're watching the audience watch this very first movie. And remember, they've never seen a movie before. They've never seen a moving picture. And they're watching this train come before them. And as the train's coming before them, they're, they're starting to get wide-eyed. And they're going, is, something, is this train going to stop? Is it going to stop? And then at the moment when the train looks like it's about to hit the audience, they flinch. They scream. They duck under their chairs. Why? They've never seen a picture like this before. And they thought the train was actually going to hit them. But it was only momentary. And then what happens? They kind of reset themselves in their seat and they look around and they, they laugh and they go, boy, that was foolish. How silly was that? That train wasn't real. We had no reason to fear that train. What this story does for, the, for us and what this passage does for us it is, is, is this. It exposes the foolishness of an ignorant fear. It exposes the foolishness of an uninformed fear. And it shows us the peace and the hope that we can have if, if we take the fear, our, our precious fear, and if it directed at, at, at creation, if directed at, at God's servants, if we, if we take it and we move it and we put it in the Lord, the peace we will have. How foolish it is to fear these other things. It's laughable. How do you know you have a healthy fear of the Lord? When the storms come, when life gets difficult, when the tornado sirens are going off, when you see that savings account going the wrong direction, you can laugh because you don't fear the bank account because your fear is the banker. You don't feel the re- fear the real estate market because your God is the agent. You don't fear the tornadoes. You don't fear the hurricane because your God has control of the sea. Your God has control of the land the earth, and everything at his disposal. I want us to consider this in conclusion. This idea of a reverent fear uh, directed at God is is not just an Old Testament theme. This is a, a theme throughout Scripture. Fast forward about 750 years. We're now on another body of water, and, and there's a storm. And it's no ordinary storm. And this storm is threatening to break up this ship. The waves are crashing over. The wind has ripped the sails. And, and, and this boat is, is full of sailors too. And, and just like in Jonah's story, there's, there's a prophet who's sleeping in the stern of the boat. But the men on deck are, are afraid. They're scared. They think the storm is going to take their life. So they go down to the prophet and they say, wake up. Don't you care? Don't you care? What does the prophet say? How does Jesus respond? Listen. This is Mark 4, beginning in verse 39. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, 
be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why do you fear? Why do you fear ignorantly? Why do you fear as if you were uninformed? Why? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mark here is not giving us a clue that he is thinking of the story of Jonah as he is writing the story. But the message is unmistakable. The message is unmistakable. Our God, who controls not only the wind and the sea, also later in his life looks at the grave and he laughs. He says, not only do I have control over all of creation, all the people in it, but I look at the grave too and I laugh. Even it can't control me. And my suggestion to you this morning is this. What if, what if your God was so sovereign and so powerful and everything was under his control and him asking you for your fear, your precious fear, your precious reverence wasn't because he was arrogant or prideful and he wants to be at the front of your fear line. I want to be in front. What if his heart was this? Look, children, if you fear me, if you have faith in me, and if all of your fear and your reverence and your awe are directed at me, what else have you to fear? Not only when the sirens go off, you don't have to panic, you don't have to crawl under your seat, but when you look at death, when you look at the end of the life, you can smile and you can laugh. Why? Because your fear rests in the sovereign Lord, the Lord that can't be stopped the God of Jonah, the God of heaven and earth. May it be so. Let's pray together. Jesus, we would pray that you would grant us greater faith in you. Move us out of our, our ignorant fear. Take not the storms from us, but, but may they be ever present to this end. May the waves continue, may the wind keep blowing until we have found our rest in you. For there, Father, will we find our peace and rest that we so long for. For Father, we are a tired people. Lead us there, make us humble, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.